0: Greetings, everybody. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit on a Wednesday. So glad to have you with me today. Uh, And uh, coming up on today's program, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Detroit nostalgia in a couple of different genres here. One, tomorrow is opening day, so I've got some thoughts on opening day and its importance to us here in the community, so we'll get into that. But I'm also going to spend a lot of time talking today, talking about, of course, the ghoul. If you grew up here in the 70s and early 80s, you no doubt remember the ghoul as the king of late-night weekend TV, bringing us those cheesy sci-fi and horror films in his chaotic, anarchic way. We lost him yesterday. That's all coming up on The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Please stay with me. Hey, Craig here. Thanks very much for joining me on today's program. And uh, as I said in the introduction, if you grew up in this area in the 1970s, you no doubt remember this. Hiya, hiya, hiya. How y'all doing out there? Hiya, 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 hiya. Froggy's the name, and harassing the psychotic sickies, my gang. Hey, Frog! I mean, what's all this mess over there? What's in your hand? Just like all the creeps, I got my little froggy rake, and I'm cleaning up my little froggy yard, you psycho. You know, I'm not like you, a one man swum. I try to take care of business around Channel 61 here. Oh boy, that wore me up real good, good, good. good. Oh boy, I am here, a real sicky psychotic. you never good, ever Now, if you, of course, again, watched late night TV in the 1970s and early 1980s, you recognize that as the ghoul. And, of course, his friend Froggy, who was the victim of all kinds of cruel pranks on the part of the ghoul, who is better known as Ron Swede. Ron Swede passed away after uh, a long illness, and uh, we lost him at age 70. Now, the ghoul was a part of, of all of our childhood, if you, again, grew up in that era. And if you were allowed to stay up to watch the ghoul, it was a big deal when you were a kid. He showed the worst movies and had more fun doing it than just about any horror host I can think of. Joining me right now to talk a little bit more about his legacy and, of course, uh, what he meant to us is my friend Rob St. Mary. Now, Rob and I, of course, worked together for many years at WDET, but Rob, of course, has long been involved in film. He podcasts, radio hosts, uh, and, of course, has also written the Orbit magazine anthology which you can find still wonderful wonderful book chronicling that fantastic fantastic publication that existed here in detroit rob thanks so much for joining me today to talk about the ghoul i know he was a friend of yours
1: thanks Craig. it's great to talk to you too and you know we've known each other uh Quite a couple of years. <laughs>
0: yeah, quite a couple. I, I think you multiply that by about ten, and I think we're we're pretty close there.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but but Rob, you know, let's let's take a look at the at the ghoul here. Uh, really mm-hmm. interesting guy that you actually got to know pretty well, uh, and yeah. in fact brought him back to Detroit Television for a few specials uh, long after his run had ceased in the city of Detroit. Um, talk first about him as a person, because we all know the television personality, what that was like, and we'll talk a bit about that. But I want to sure. know what he was like as a person.
1: He was just a very nice and humble quiet guy. I mean, I it, it might be an odd comparison, but I know people who know um Iggy pretty well and they say that there's Iggy on stage and then when he's off stage it's just Jim. And I think it's kind of the same thing where when he put on that wig and he put on those sunglasses and the you know the fake beard and the mustache and the lab coat it's the ghoul. He's on stage. He's on TV. He's blowing stuff up with the firecrackers. He's doing all kinds of wackiness. Um, but when he's off, he's just run. And just one of the nicest, sweetest guys I ever met, um, who, you know, I, I was a young guy. I mean, if you'll indulge me, I'll tell you a little bit about how sure. I got to know him. Uh, well, I mean, growing up around here, Um, I'm kind of on the tail end of ghoul fans. I I think he may have went off the air. I'm not exactly sure of the date, uh, about the mid eighties, which means that he was about, I was about six or seven when he was off the air. So I only remember seeing him in clips just briefly. Um, but I know people who are a little bit older than me that used to watch him. It was a, it was a tradition every weekend. Uh, first he was on 50, then he was on 20. And, um, but I met him in 2000. I had gone down to Cleveland and I was promoting a film that I had worked on as a kid. I was 19. I produced this little film around 21. It got distributed by this company. And the guy who owned the company said, I'm going to be in Cleveland. It's just down the road. Why don't you come? I'm going to be part of this film festival. I said, great. And. The ghoul happened to be at the film festival, so we started talking. He goes, "Where are you from?" I said, "Well, I'm from Detroit." And I go, "It's nice to meet you. You know, you're a legend back home in Detroit." And he's like, "You know, Detroit always got me, because he was on Kaiser Broadcasting, which was 50 at the time here in Detroit in the 70s, and they had syndicated him. He had started in Cleveland. They syndicated him to I think it was seven other cities, including Boston and San Francisco, and he never caught on in those other markets as well as he did here. He did well in Cleveland, and he did extremely well in detroit and i think probably part of the reason why he did well here was uh, some of his references so i mean he you know always had polka music in the background um he he would make fun of parma which was a suburb of cleveland that had a, a polish community but much like where i live ham polish community <laughs> so there were certain things that we could all agree on um and there was just that sort of irreverent spirit. I mean, he you know, blew stuff up with firecrackers and talked about how bad the movies were, and he would put sound effects over the movies. I mean, in a way, he was kind of like Mystery Science Theater before Mystery Science Theater became a thing.
0: Well, and Rob, I mean, there was, it was also sort of uh, an anarchy, um, you know, there wasn't a teleprompter that he was working with. Um, obviously mm-hmm. they did some prep about some of the skits they were going to do and some of the things they were going to do to poor Froggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, a lot of this was just completely improvised mm-hmm. off the cuff lunacy. And it was something that, that, as he said, Detroit got it. What What do you think it was about this market that appreciated that type of of anarchy on the set?
1: Well, I I think what's interesting to me, and I'm going to go back a little bit and kind of explain how the ghoul, how Ron Swede became the ghoul. And I think this will help you understand um, a a connection between another cultural hero in Detroit and him is um, the ghoul really started out as um, as a version of an earlier host. So in Cleveland in 1961, 62, 63. There was a guy by the name of Ernie Anderson, and Ernie Anderson had a show called Goularty, and Goularty was, he was a hip beatnik, so he had the same fright wig and glasses, and he would talk, hey, baby, how you doing, and all this, come on in, we're watching a bad movie, and all this, <laughs> and Ernie Anderson was, he was a pitchman, he was a voice talent, he was on local TV there in Cleveland, and eventually he decided, "No, know, I've kind of had enough of doing this. I'm, I'm going to hang it up. I'm moving to California. And Ernie Anderson eventually became someone that all of us know if we're of a certain age. He became the voice of ABC network. He was one of the highest paid voice actors of his time when he died. So when you remember tonight on MacGyver, that's <laughs> that's Ernie Anderson. So uh, kind of an interesting side note, uh, Ernie Anderson's son is Paul Thomas Anderson, who did Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. And his film production company is called the Goularty Film Company. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Ron Swede met Goularty when he was a teenager and he did a little skit. There was a I I believe it was a beach or something in Cleveland and Goularty was going to appear. So Ron dressed up in a gorilla costume and got on stage and did all this stuff and then became kind of an errand boy for him um, and was just really enamored with this whole thing. And when the, and when Ernie went West to Hollywood, he said, you know, why don't you come back once a month and, you know, you can tape some shows and do it. And he's like, no, I'm kind of done with it. And and he's like, here, you can have my fright wig and all this, you know, if you want to do something with it, that's fine, kid, but whatever. And so in 1971, Ron, at the age of, you know, his, his late teens, early 20s goes, I, I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try and emulate my um my hero, Ernie Anderson, Goularty. And what he realized, and this was a conversation I had with him, was he goes, you know, he couldn't do that beatnik thing. It just wasn't him. And that kind of had moved on in the culture, you know, so he kind of looked around and he saw Alice Cooper and thought, yeah. You know, Alice's big stage performance and, you know, spectacle and, you know, this is before the guillotine and all that stuff. Sure. But still like, you know, that that's what we connect to here in Detroit, that kind of idea. So so I think in a lot of ways what Ron Sweet did was he took Goularty, something that he loved, and said – I've got to get with the times, heavy metal music, uh, the, the, you know, before it was punk rock or whatever you want to call it, you know, the Stooges, uh, Al's Cooper, things like that. And kind of put those two things together. And, and that's really what kind of informed his sensibility on TV.
0: My guest right now, of course, is my friend Rob St. Mary. We're talking about Ron Swede, a.k.a. the ghoul, who passed away yesterday after a lengthy illness. Apparently, he had suffered a heart attack a few months ago and never really fully recovered from that. He was 70 years old. But for those of us who were raised in the 70s here, he was a big part of our weekends. And uh, being able to brag to your friends that you stayed up to watch the ghoul was a big, big deal when I was in elementary school and middle school uh, here in Southeast Michigan. You know... Rob, this guy was so tied to Detroit, even though he was from Cleveland, the show originated in Cleveland. It eventually migrated here, but he was so known here. I, I want to pass along a story. This is my little ghoul story. I never met Ron Swede, uh, but I was interviewing Bob Weir from the Grateful Dead several years ago on my program. And when I said, Bob, welcome to the, to the Craig Folly show here on WDET, he comes on, he goes, hiya, 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 just like Froggy. So he knew about the ghoul uh he knew the importance of that to the detroit audience and i cannot tell you how many listeners called up and said i can't believe bob weir's a fan of the ghoul It was <laughs> amazing how many people were totally knew what that was about and it really touched a touched a, a sweet spot for a lot of folks
1: well it's funny because he must have been one of the few people out in san francisco that was watching it when <laughs> it was syndicated because because like i said it just didn't catch on out there i mean it must have caught on among the you know, the dead and and other freaks, but I think that's really what it was. I mean, he was kind of a clarion call to, to the weirdos. My, my friends who are a little bit older than I have been doing a lot of uh, work, you know, with the orbit magazine book. And then now the Detroit punk history, uh, oral history work that I've been doing over the last few years. And uh, some of my friends who are older, you know, 20 odd years older than me in late fifties and into their sixties talked about how having him on TV was really kind of, it was it was anarchistic because I mean don't play with firecrackers you know I mean you could get firecrackers back then it was easier you know probably as easy as it is now since they changed laws a few years ago here in Michigan but um, the it, I, I love what Jerry Vile said in the in the free press write up that Tim Kiska put out today about. How he was like the Hunter Thompson of trash and <laughs> and he would, you know, light firecrackers. You know, you like you weren't supposed to light firecrackers around people or do things like that. And we certainly
0: and, weren't supposed to try to blow things up with no, them, which he did no. all the time. And yeah. when you, when you were a kid, that stuff was huge. You're like, we love this. And of course, you'd yeah, you know, we'd
1: build models just to blow them up with fireworks. Right. And, and and you know, TV, in order to be on TV back then, it was like, you know, there was only like three channels. So it was like it was important, it was serious work you know, to be on TV. And you think about the other horror hosts that we had here in Detroit. I mean, Sir Graves and, you know, Bill Kennedy and, and things like that. And those guys were stiff and tame compared to what the ghoul was doing. I mean, and he was smoking all the time too. Right. Right. And, you know, when, when I got to meet Ron, this is the thing, like I said, in 2000, I met him in Cleveland and he's like, I'd really love to be back on in Detroit. You know, you guys really got it. And I said, well, let me see what I can do. You know, I, I, had had some luck with some publicity on this little film that I had made. And I figured, you know, make a few phone calls, put together a little, you know, a couple pages on what it is that you want and start knocking on some doors. And, and in the fall of 2001, uh, we were lucky enough to get three specials on the air. It was uh Halloween Thanksgiving and Christmas 2001 on, on channel 20. And the, the hope was, is that if we could get them back on, That the audience would be there, or at least the uh, the the station would see the value of him and go, yeah, you know, we'd love to have him back. And um, those three specials aired, but it really didn't go much further than that. And I think that may have been the last time he was on TV here. But when he came to town, and I did some other events, we did a we did a concert at the Magic Stick with some bands, and we did uh, an in store at Thomas Video, sadly uh, gone as well. Huge importance, uh, cultural relevancy here. That video store, I can't. Under, underestimate the value of that place as well in terms of our, our collective memory of film and video. But he, um, I mean, he was only supposed to be there for a couple hours to sign autographs and take photos. And I think he ended up staying an extra two hours. Because the line was just down the block. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, and he hadn't been on TV in probably 15 years.
0: Well, and- again, when you're such a huge part of people's childhood and uh, and adolescence, uh, it, it is it is a big deal. And like I said, a lot of adults were watching him at the time as well. And, and frankly, I think he sort of fell victim, Rob, to just what changed in TV in general. I mean, Saturday Night Live comes around, steals a lot of that audience that would be there for these old horror shows. Uh, and, and they sort of went away for a long time. You've got yeah. Sven Gulli. That's on MeTV Now I think he's still on in Chicago, but you really don't have a lot of shows like this anymore with the exception of MSTK, uh, yeah. or whatever you call it. Mystery science theater. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of making a bit of a comeback as well you know it almost seems as if if you could have held on there might have been some room for him again
1: right i mean where that all comes from i mean the history of horror host is kind of fascinating because what it was was in the 50s universal decided that they were going to sell a package of i think it was 20 films that were just b movies that nobody cared about and they sold them real cheap to and this is at the time before you know one big company owned all of the TV stations, basically, or several big companies owned all the TV stations, local stations. And so if you were a local station, you bought a package of these films, and what were you going to do with them? Like, you know, you can show them over and over again. You, you have them to do that, but th- th- there needed to be a hook. There needed to be a reason for people to want to sit down and watch these things. So in the mid-50s, you have people like Vampyra in los angeles who went on to be an actress she was in ed woods Plan nine from outer space and you know such a iconic image um and then you know Zachary in in new york and you had all of these horror hosts that started to develop Er, like i said ernie anderson gulardi in the in the early 60s in cleveland and like i said by the time we get to the 80s that's when that conglomeration really happens and then into the 90s really i mean with the 1996 um telecom act i mean just mass conglomeration of tv and and radio so all of these models changed and um there just wasn't room for him anymore and but the one thing that was always fascinating was he would come to town and even just recently i think it was last year he was at the redford theater and he had been at the redford theater several times and he would come and he would do like a live show and you know hang out and have people have fun with cheesy 1950s horror films
0: well, Rob, I, I, I'm glad uh, I had an opportunity to talk to you uh, about him today. I know that you got a chance to get to know him and uh, are a huge fan and uh, very appreciative of the work that he did over all those years. I mean, as far as Detroit TV personalities go, I mean, he really is one of the last of the of the golden age of TV people here in Detroit. Uh, where would you rank him? Where would you rank him when he comes along to
1: the uh. people like the Sonny Elliotts and the Soupy Saleses of the world? I mean, I mean, soupy really is the king I mean if i it, it's hard to really kind of top him because of of the import that he's had throughout the years and some of the great stories about hey kids, you see remember go look in your dad's wallet and send those green rectangles to me <laughs> that's right <laughs> um you know things like that I mean um they're You know, I don't, I don't like ranking. I I kind of like the idea of the Roman pantheon. You know, you, you go in and there's all of the statues of the great, you know, Roman gods. And to me, he's in the pantheon of, of legendary Detroit people of TV. I mean, I would even put people like Bill Bonds in there, you know, um, notable, you know, more crim or whatever. I mean, notable news anchors, notable TV people, um, you know, we really had such a great TV culture at that time. And you just think about the various names and talents that came to our home and entertained us, or, you know, in the case of Sonny Elliott gave us the weather with some, you know, kitschy <laughs> jokes. And he's, he's in there with all of them. And like I said, it was just a, such a, such a kind man, I mean, just a really nice guy. And as I was telling uh, Tim Kisco last night when he called me as he was putting together the obituary, I go, he's probably the most beloved Ohioan in <laughs> Michigan history. I cannot think of another person from Ohio, given our interstate rivalries over the years, tongue in cheek, um, who comes even close. I, I, I can't really think of anyone.
0: Uh, Well, Rob St. Mary, we certainly do appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Uh, It's a pleasure. All right. My friend Rob St. Mary joining us here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. And I'll do my best, Sonny Elliott. Uh, It's supposed to be a little bit rainy and a little bit chilly tomorrow. So I guess we'll call it Cheney for opening day tomorrow. We're going to talk a bit about opening day after a break here on the Craig Folly Show. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Thanks very much for joining me today. And uh, tomorrow, tomorrow in Detroit is opening day for the Detroit Tigers and uh, the Tigers. Not hitting very well thus far this season, but uh, somehow they have a 3-2 and record as of uh, this recording, playing the Yankees again tonight before they head home for their home opener against the Kansas City Royals tomorrow at Comerica Park. And if you are a Detroiter, there are a few cities that enjoy opening day as much as we do here. Cincinnati comes to mind, St. Louis and Detroit. Those three cities, for some reason, seem to celebrate opening day like none other. And and the interesting thing about it is, is that this has become almost a holiday. And it's not just about the start of the baseball season, because there will be thousands and thousands of people in downtown Detroit tomorrow that have no intention of going to the game. It's a celebration of spring. It's a release of winter's long grip. That's what this is about. And of course, it is an excuse for people to go out and have a lot of fun and party and all that kind of stuff. But it has become something uh, that has just grown and grown in popularity over the years. And sometimes it shows us on our best behavior as fans. Other times it shows us at our worst behavior as citizens. There are a lot of different things that go along with opening day. I, for one, love it. I have been to many, many opening day games. Uh, My streak will continue. I'll be watching the game tomorrow, probably not at the stadium its itself, but I will be watching the game with some friends and having some fun and, and doing all the kind of stuff that goes along with that here in downtown Detroit, because it really has become something that is beyond just a sporting event. It is, again, our celebration of spring here in Detroit. And whether the Tigers are going to be good or bad this year, and it looks like it could be a long season for them as they rebuild, it doesn't matter on this day. On this day, everybody here in town is a Tiger fan. Whether you like sports or not, it's fun. Now, at the same time, this is a bit of a double-edged sword. Because with all of these visitors to downtown Detroit comes the requisite garbage, littering, bad behavior that will be exhibited by some of the fans that show up in downtown Detroit. And I don't mean to discourage anybody from coming down or suggest that it is not a good experience. It is a great experience. I remember the first time I went to opening day, I was probably in high school, ditching school, to catch the opening day at Tiger Stadium. And now, of course, at Comerica Park, spend a lot of time there and always enjoy my games there. But there will be some things that happen on opening day that I would like to discourage. And for those of you who are coming to visit the city, who maybe only come down a couple of times a year just to visit the park, well, you know what? Treat this place as if you would treat it as your own home. Pick up your garbage. Don't leave the red Solo Cups all over the parking lots. Do your best to clean up your area. Police yourselves. Be on your best behavior if you can. If you can find a way to not throw up in the middle of the street, that would be helpful. If you could find a way to keep your rowdy buddies from fighting each other, that would be helpful. And again, don't. Don't do stupid things like fight. Like swear too loud in front of a bunch of little kids. Just try to behave. Try to behave as if you are a visitor somewhere and treat this place the way that you would treat going to somebody else's home. Now, I'm not expecting everybody to be perfect. It never works out that way on opening day, but we can do better than we've done over the last several years, especially when it comes to garbage left behind. I know it's a huge party. I know it's a bunch of fun, but it's not that hard to bring a couple extra garbage bags with you and clean up your area. Even if, even if you leave your garbage bag full of your garbage next to the garbage can that may be overflowing. Something to prevent just the spread of cups everywhere. I'm not asking you to do a whole lot, but if you could do me that little favor and do the city that little favor, we'll all have a much better time. We certainly would appreciate it. In the meantime, have fun tomorrow. Go Tigers. And maybe, who knows, maybe this season won't turn out as badly as we expect. Because at this time of year, we always have hope. That's what spring is about. That's what opening day is about. And I'm going to think about it that way because it makes me smile just as I'm talking about it. But opening day is here. It is our official first day of spring. It is our official first day of summer. Enjoy and be good to the city thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Don't forget, you can email me, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Certainly do appreciate that, getting your feedback there. You can also find me on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Snapchat. You can find us just about anywhere. And please, let us know what you're thinking. And if you like the program, tell your friends about it. Subscribe to it. Share the program when I post it on social media. All this stuff helps and will keep it going for a long time and will allow me to expand a lot of the things I want to do with this show. And I'm looking forward to doing a lot of cool projects in the future. And uh, your help will go a long way towards making that happen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Enjoy the ball game tomorrow. Enjoy the city. And again, be nice. I'll see you then.